1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm continuing my mini-series with non-benefit topics related to the coronavirus. Today on my podcast, I'm with Dina Pikarsky, a registered nurse employed by an Orange County California hospital who recently experienced an emergency hospitalization during COVID-19 and now has the perspective of a patient. Dina is here to share with us her experiences and the emotional toll that this emergency and other hospitalizations take on patients during COVID-19. Welcome, Dina, and thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's it's great to have a person who has the experience from both sides, a nurse and a patient. You don't see that very often. You don't see that very often. (laughs) And I'm sure you would rather have that not been the case.
2: Would surely rather have not been the case.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, before we get started, I want to let everybody know that we are recording this podcast in person live, which is only the second time this season. We're recording Outside for Safety, and of course, we are socially distant. Uh, but because we're outside, we want to disclose up front that we could have some outdoor interruptions or background noises, cars going by, birds chirping, uh, dogs barking, etc. But uh, I prefer that to internet interruptions. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get started. As I mentioned, Dina, you are a nurse. You're a specialist in labor and delivery, to be exact. And you've been working in an Orange County hospital during all of COVID-19 until you were injured. So what's that like? I mean, what are the protocols for your hospital as far as mothers being able to have visitors when they have a new baby?
2: Well, it's been really tough, Dorothy. Um, We're only allowing the fathers in, and that's only if mothers take their COVID test and they come back negative. So if the mother comes in in an active labor, we're basically keeping the dads in the lobby until a test can be taken of the mother, run through the lab, results in, and then we'll have dad back.
1: Yeah. That's that's kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, you know, you've, you've mentioned to me some of the stories before. Yeah, we've had
2: a few dads who've missed the delivery of their
1: own baby. I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, how does it make you as a nurse feel when new moms can't have their family there to share in those really supposed to be joyous times of a newborn baby?
2: You know, there's only a few times in your life that you have those joyous times. Maybe a wedding day or... Something super special that happened to you, but the birth of a child is just on the top of the list. And a lot of people, uh, myself included, when I had my two children, I had my mother and my sister present, as well as when my sister had her two children, my mother and I were present. We're very close family, of course. I had my husband, of course, but you know, in addition to him, I had my mom and my sister, which gave me the um, the female perspective of having a baby you and, know? and the emotional support and the too. emotional support Let, let's face
1: it women are better with emotional support in general in general than yes. men mm-hmm. i have to say that yeah. in general because uh-huh. i don't want men you know emailing me and calling me because of this <laughs> podcast but in no, general
2: but in general the men are better at the tasks yeah. you know they, they're better at helping you turn or whatever but your mom is the one who you know, just kind of gives you the, the peace and quiet, the, the,
1: the actual mom
2: part of it. Right. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Even though you're, you're giving
2: birth. Exactly. And it's important to, it's important to those grandmas the soon to be grandmas too, right. or soon to be aunts, um, to be there, um, be part of that whole thing. Because if you're a close knit family, it, it is a family affair. Right. It really is. Right. Because it's from there on out, everybody is going to help raise this child as well. Right. Right. For so sure. That's that's really hard. Um, I've had mothers crying that their mothers can't come in, and I've like snuck people to the windows or tried to make make sure they were in a postpartum room just so they could hold the baby up, and the parents can, you know, the the um, uh, the grandparents or extended family can just see them holding that baby up, and so it's 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 very um, it's just it's really surreal that this is actually happening
1: yeah and especially taking so long and going stretching out for so many months which none of us ever expected at the beginning we thought it'd be two three four weeks right when this all started right. so we thought we can handle that that's right. not a big deal Yeah. And then it just kept going on and on and on. So recently you've had your own experience with being hospitalized during COVID. It was just before Thanksgiving and you were having your family over early for dinner because you were scheduled to work at the hospital on Thanksgiving Day. Tell us what happened just a couple of hours before that dinner. (laughs) With the turkey in the oven (laughs) and all.
2: With the turkey in the oven and all, my um, husband was um, peeling potatoes for me. And for some reason, because he never does this, he actually opened the dishwasher door to put some dishes away. I don't know why he chose that day, but the, dog, but the dog got the bacon bits and she ran into her bed. So I was angry at the dog and I knew people were coming over. And so I grabbed the dog's bed and she's a big dog. She's a Labrador. So I had the dog's bed and had it rolled up like a taco so that uh, the bacon bits wouldn't fall out. And I was going to throw it into the grass. Well, my husband left the, the dishwasher door open and I had a bad trip and fall and landed on my elbow and I shattered, I did a really good number on it. Let's yeah. just put it that way. I have lots of pins and screws and plates in there, and um, and it was quite uh, devastating. Obviously the pain was horrible, but it, every time I tried to move anything, I could feel the rip and tear of, of uh, tendons and ligaments and whatever else it right. was destroying in there. Um, so I um, told my husband we should call an ambulance because I didn't want to go into one of our cars and then be transported to the hospital.
1: Right. So as a nurse, of course, you knew you needed the ambulance because you wanted to protect that elbow uh, in transit. Of course, some of us might not have thought of that. We would have just said, let's get in the car and, and, and go in. And we wouldn't have even thought about the fact that you need you know, stabilize that elbow and you need to take care of it. Um, so how was the EMT service and the actual ride to the hospital during COVID, what extra steps did they take uh, to protect themselves and to, and to protect you during this time?
2: Well. I haven't had, besides, I've never, I've never myself been in an ambulance except once as a kid, and then of course when I was in nursing school doing ride-alongs, but um, the Huntington Beach Fire Department came, and they were nothing but gracious, they were good to me, they showed up with their masks, they showed up with their gloves, but you know, that's kind of a standard thing for, for paramedics, is Mm -hmm. to have have gloves on and you know treat patients with maybe not the mask part but they were masked they were gloved got my elbows stable and put me on a gurney and took me out took me straight to my hospital so I got to stay in my own hospital um, because uh, I I know the surgeons and the anesthesiologists and the scrub techs and everything there so I I had a little bit uh, one up even on some people that don't know anybody right so but they they did a great job i have no qualms with it none at all i think they i think they were professional and and protected me as much as i could of course they they made me um keep on my mask um loosely of course because i was screaming in pain but but they still they still did put a mask on me and um you know tried to
1: help me with the pain yeah as much as they could so now you're in the hospital you have an mri i'm assuming uh, you've been told that you need to have surgery. What can you share with us about that experience? I mean, was it difficult to get a good surgeon just before a holiday? Well, yeah,
2: that was, a, that was definitely um, a problem. And here's where, here's where my, uh, I don't know if the word dissatisfaction, that's a really uh, tough word because my hospital is an incredible hospital. So I'm not dissatisfied with the service or the thing. It's just the surroundings of COVID is what I'm going to address Um, yes, the guy who does the elbows, (laughs) the elbow surgeon, the orthopedic that specializes in it, did his fellowship in elbows, was on vacation because it's Thanksgiving week. Right. I mean, the poor guy gets to get a vacation.
1: Imagine that. Imagine that.
2: So the first surgeon that came in to me said, um, said, you know, I think I can do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I had, I had the uh, wherewithal to ask, now, mind you, I was completely alone, mm-hmm. right? Nobody in. I had the wherewithal to ask, "Do you do elbows?" And he says, "Well, no, I usually do hips and knees, but the elbow guy is gone." Oh my I'm gosh! I'm like, he says, "So we might have some problem with your range of motion." I'm like, "No, this is my right arm. I'm, I'm." Um, You're a nurse. You need that arm. I'm, an, and I'm re- relatively young. I mean, I still got, I still got 15, 17 years left to work. I don't need any range of motion issues with my elbow. This is, it's my right hand, my dominant hand. So I said, well, I think I would like to stop, talk to somebody who's done elbows
1: more. Yeah, I would have done the same thing. So
2: I think he was a little miffed at me because um, as soon as he walked out, my anesthesiologist friend who was going to take my case the next day because I was going to be scheduled for the, morning, the next morning, he called me on my phone and he said, what the heck? You just got canceled off of my list tomorrow. And I was devastated because now mind you, I have my arm is shattered. Right. And it's very painful and um, so I was shattered. I, I, I mean, I was so upset. But um, I think I did the right the right thing. Now, the second guy that was coming to me, I knew also was not an elbow guy. And I chose not to even have him come into my room because I just... What I was could, the point? What was, what point? was the point? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, now I have to explain it all again to somebody who I knew I wasn't going to have do my arm anyway. So I felt very alone with that. Of course, my husband was only allowed in for a very short amount of time. We didn't even used to let husbands in, but for some reason now, I guess that we we do. And maybe it was because I was medicated um, heavily, you know, for the pain. Mm -hmm. But but he was only allowed in for a very short amount of time. And not only that, but we're also, as a family, um, busy with trying to stay afloat with COVID-19 in a small business. So I didn't want him just sitting by my bedside. I wanted him to go back to work. Right. Because we need to go back to work because now obviously I'm going to be off. Right. So unfortunately, they only allow the one person that shows up first. Which was your husband. You can't interchange. If I had known that, uh, because this is a different floor, not my floor. If I had really known that, I would have I had my mother, for example, who has more time on her hands and she could retired have to and me. she could have sat there with right. you. She could exactly. have held your
1: hand, she could talk to you. Exactly.
2: So long story is is that I actually had to call my director, who is the director of labor and delivery and also the director of the OR, and I had to ask for help. Now I am so lucky that I actually have that connection because obviously I work there. But um, a lot of people don't have that connection, right. which makes you wonder and think how, you know, if it's... This, what would most people have done? Yeah, what would, would most people have done? Um, yeah, so with the with the help of my director, um, I was able to get a surgeon um, that came from a neighboring hospital that had privileges at my hospital to come and do my elbow. Truthfully, what most people would have done, they would have gone with the first guy, which I'm sure was a perfectly fine guy. I mean, I know his surgery record is spot on but he just doesn't do elbows that much and that elbow is a very specific joint right you know
1: you got you got to have that that's like if you have to have knee surgery you don't want somebody who's you know only does shoulders right exactly exactly so
2: um and i'm sure it probably would have been fine but you just don't know i just don't know
1: and it's your arm and it's your and it's your livelihood and you don't want to take that risk right right
2: and because I, i think because i actually asked that educated question he probably went, oh, crud, you know, if something doesn't go right, then, you know, it opens them up to liability. So right, um, that would be my guess.
1: Yeah. Well, most patients wouldn't have had that extra help, as you said. Um, how lucky were you to have had that? <laughs> Super lucky. Yeah.
2: yeah Super was, lucky. Being
1: in your own hospital, knowing mm-hmm. people, being mm-hmm. able to go to your own director, mm-hmm. um, asking for special mm-hmm. help and having having that person give you all that extra help. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, we would all wish we could be in that position and i think you were very lucky to have that happen but you know and there was nothing lucky about your accident um so you know i don't want to go too far with that i mean it was but a horrible with, thing to have happen but with the
2: bad situation i actually had the best possible um
1: outcome right and you mentioned before that you were only allowed to have one person visit and you had your husband uh, he basically was there to just bring you in personal items right and, and stay with you for a short amount of time mm-hmm. And then no one else was allowed in, no. not your kids, I just said, not your mom. So you were alone in the hospital from, what, Monday through Friday, Friday. correct? Four mm-hmm. nights? I went home
2: on Friday. And it's not just the extent of my mom or my sister or my children that couldn't come to see me. They were very, and, and as they should be, the RNs, as they should be, very diligent about not even letting the nurses from my own department come in. So at the very beginning, the nurses from my department came up and just gave me some comfort and so on. And then they decided, the charge nurse decided that that wasn't really right. You know, they were coming from a different department.
1: Yeah.
2: And um, because there's still know, COVID going on. There's still COVID going on. And, you know, I mean, I understand. But, you know, you have that friendship mm-hmm. aspect, mm-hmm. you know. So, so you were there
1: for four nights with no visitors, basically. Zero yeah so how was that explain to us how that was emotionally I it's mean,
2: horrible yeah. it is absolutely horrible as we talked about before um what would have happened had i not had my director's help right. and not only that but remind you that i am on pain medication right i mean i'm um you're out of I'm, it <laughs> i'm on dilaudid every two hours and you know infused with percocet so yeah. you don't really you're not really thinking clearly right. to begin with and i there's lots of Um, parts of um, that hospitalization I don't even remember right but how do you make a major decision for yourself right how do you make a major decision for yourself if if you don't have a good support
1: system and your 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 mind is your mind is is gone it's on it's on
2: painkillers somebody with a clear with a clear brain how do you how do you how do you navigate that right so um but not only that the Okay. So when I went in, obviously they tested me for COVID. I was negative. So, but the problem is, is how the the nurses are not really exposing themselves any more than they absolutely have to. They can't. So, right. I mean, we have to have a nursing force. You know these I nurses. Have, I mean, but I you're could,
1: necessary. You are, yeah. Right. I could, I could have workers. been
2: actually been positive with a negative result. I don't know how often that happens, but I do know there's a lot of negatives that come out with positive results right, right. that are not true. That when you do a PRC, then then it's you see that it's negative, even though the rapid test has been done. Um, so I was negative, but the nurses still didn't really come. Yeah. You know, usually. Which you yeah. would think
1: your coworkers, your friends that you work right. with and so forth would at least be able to come mm-hmm. in. And, but because of COVID, they, they can't. No. They're, mm-hmm. they're restricted from that. Right. So, so again, the, you're all by yourself.
2: Yeah. But not even just them, but the nurses that are assigned to me. Yeah. You know, my, my actual Really? Nurse so they, they actually the stayed eating. out of the room as much as possible. As much as possible. You yeah. know, as little patient
1: interaction as possible. Um, and, and that's and, not normal because you're a nurse and when you no, have a patient in the hospital before in COVID. There all
2: the time. Right. You know, I, I'm, I'm in there every 15 to 30 minutes checking out, even though I can see all of her... You know vitals and the baby's baby's heart rate and her heart rate and the whole thing. I, I'm it's on my desk right in front of me, just like an EKG strip. You right, know, right. Um, I still am in there physically assessing and touching and looking and and um, just making sure everything's okay, not right. too much bleeding, whatever Right my for my position. But in this respect, I didn't have that kind of thing. Um, they kind of came in and did. Just a super quick assessment once a shift, maybe twice, I don't know, like I said, I'm a little fuzzy, but um, since it was just limited to my elbow, it was just limited to my elbow. Right. And um, of course, I needed help to the restroom and stuff like that. They had to put the bed alarm on, but because they didn't want me getting up because of all the medication and <laughs> possibly hurting myself by right. falling or something. Right. So the CNA did have a, had a lot more hands-on with me, but it was seriously just... You got go to go the bathroom. There you go. I'm standing out here. Pull this cord when you're done. And help you back to bed. And she was done. Yeah. And and I don't I don't blame them whatsoever. And I was lucky enough. I used to be a surgical nurse twenty years ago, same hospital. Right. Before I moved down to labor and delivery. And two of the nights, one of my CNAs that worked with me.
1: Explain to people that are listening what a CNA is in a, case they don't. A know.
2: certified nursing assistant. Okay. So. The CNAs are the ones that come and, you know, they help you to the bathroom. They do the, the, the mundane work mm-hmm. of that nurses don't have time to do, um, uh, help people um, turn or whatever. Right. So right. They're, they're very, they're integral. You, uh, nurses couldn't live without them, especially on that department. Right. But um, So I was lucky enough to have somebody I knew, and she was surprised to see that I was there. And I think that I got a little bit of extra special care from her. But um, she was still said, you know, we have to just do our job and kind of back out of the room because, you know, if we go down, the whole place goes down. Right. Right. Which I totally understand. Right. Being a nurse, but if I wasn't a nurse, I would be like, what the heck? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Why? You know? I can't. I can't even move. I can't turn over in bed even because right. I've got this broken elbow and i had right. to wait two days because i <laughs> wouldn't let the first surgeon or the second surgeon so
1: and then they had to get the right screws they had to get yeah, all the all had, the parts so to all, speak all the parts so
2: <laughs> anyway long story is that um is that i was um, very uncomfortable for yeah. the two days and the yeah. nurses came in to, just to give me my pain pills and right when they it. were
1: out yeah. Yeah. right so. which is uh, which is the case for everyone now mm-hmm. with covid yeah. yeah
2: i mean they were very kind i yeah. had i had good nurses but um, the charge nurse there was really, she put her foot down and would not let any of um, our nurses, my nurses from my department there or anything. Which if I even had them, I could have been like, while oh, you're here, can you help me get up to the bathroom? Right. While you're here, can right. you can you please just, you know, put that pillow under this arm so I can elevate it? While you're here, so, instead of just hitting the call bell, call bell, call bell.
1: So, so in the meantime, you're sitting there basically alone in your room. Completely. And just... With nothing to do, being worried about your upcoming surgery, not being able to talk to anyone as you said. That, that that has to just really be difficult going on and on. I mean, those days probably each day probably seemed like a week,
2: I yeah. would think. Yes, it did. It was very long and and by by the day 4 I was like cl- climbing the walls you know Yeah. but I knew I needed to stay another day because of the pain right. control right so I chose to
1: just stay um well, for one more day well let, let's come back to your your day of your surgery mm-hmm. now you have your surgery tell us what it was like coming out of the surgery you're you're groggy you're coming out you're barely you know your mind's like half there. Um, no, my mind wasn't even there. I don't. Right. I, the first thing I
2: remember was waking up in my room. So yeah. I don't remember any of the post-op. Okay. Um, nothing.
1: Um, so who was there for you when you woke up? Nobody. So you're you've had this surgery. You've been mm-hmm. alone for a couple of days in your room already, most mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. And now you come out of surgery when you expect to be able to normally, under mm-hmm. normal circumstances, mm-hmm. have friends or family there, mm-hmm. or
2: and I, I should I
1: should preface this by saying
2: nobody. I don't remember anybody. Okay. I mean, but I do know that it certainly wasn't my family. Right. You know, there's probably somebody coming in and checking checking on, on you. You know, mm-hmm. and they would never release you from post op if you weren't stable right. and okay and actually had woke up for them and and did the little things that they you need to do in order for them to um, send you to the floor. Right. For a recovery. So I mean I'm sure that I was just fine and stable, but I was under anesthesia, coming right. out of yeah. anesthesia, and so um, long uh, is I just felt that when I I do not even remember waking up. So perhaps there was a nurse in my room, but the first thing I remember is being in my bedroom, in my hospital room.
1: Right. So, right. I can just imagine the isolation. What that must have been like. It's just horrible. Yeah, isolation is
2: horrible. So you just and you I. Like I said I understand it. Yeah. Being on the other side. Right. I get you're it. a nurse, you get it. I get it. I've already worked in it. I mean, I was working 60-hour weeks. But let's face it, it's it.
1: different when it's happening to you. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I don't mean to sound that that mm-hmm. sounds somewhat selfish, but mm-hmm. in the reality, when you're in the hospital, it's mm-hmm. all about you. And it's all about your family too, because they're worried about you. They can't check on you. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't as often as you'd like, whatever, um, except for you know FaceTime and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and phone calls. But uh, tell us more about the hospital personnel caring for you, the nurses, the doctors. I mean you said they were restricted from coming in people that you knew in the hospital, but you did have your own caregivers that were coming in. Uh, Were they comforting at all? Um, Oh yeah.
2: I mean, when they were in there, they were very kind and comforting. We have, we are a magnet hospital, which means we have a high level of nursing care.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, We strive very hard to be a magnet hospital. Um, And our nurses are really great. They really are great. And, you know, not only in, um, in a professional setting, but well, personal setting as well. So they are very limited at what they can do for you as right. well. So you know, when, when somebody could have been there just to, um, you know, calm me down or, or whatever, it was, you know, do your task and basically back out of the room. Right. So right? basically
1: that's the limitation. They do right. what they have to do to mm-hmm. take care of you at that moment mm-hmm. and exactly. that's all.
2: Exactly. Which I'm sure probably goes against every grain and fiber of a nurse. Right, a nurse's whole job basically is to take care of the patient. The patient. Right. So um, it's uh, I'm sure that it's probably very hard for them as well, um, you know, because they're probably used to being in rooms a little bit more often. Um, In my department, we have to be in there because of the level of intensity. Right. So because, like I said, you have to visually look. For bleeding and whatever right but um, on a stable person as I am and on the floor that I was which is just a surgical postdoc floor, um, I was stable enough that they didn't have to be in there yeah. and they weren't
1: right right well I want to come back to the isolation again because I think that's one of the most important things that, that uh, I want to bring up in this podcast today I'm guessing as we talked about before that the isolation was pretty much unbearable um, I honestly don't know how I could have handled it. I would have gone crazy. I don't think I could have done it. But your kids were home for the holidays, and you were there alone. Tell us more, if you could, a little bit more about being a patient right now, if there's anything else you want to add to that.
2: Mm, Yeah, it's... I I don't even know what to say to that question because um, it is just you feel desperate. You're desperate for someone to touch you or help you or talk to you or say something kind you know i mean of course i had my cell phone but i'm in and out of you know what i mean just that
1: well yeah beyond painkillers and and all that
2: just that um extra special thing that somebody could have done for you like your mother your husband or your sister or all all of them Mm -hmm. in a normal situation is um very comforting and i can't imagine i i mean this was just this was just five days yeah you know i cannot imagine these people that are in that are actually have covid right because there is even less interaction right right because right. and some of them on their last days of their lives yeah and patients are you know patients are, are are completely alone yeah i actually have a friend um one of my co-workers sister was admitted in my hospital with covid and she said that basically they would Put the food on a tray, and then you'd kind of get it through. It's almost kind of like when you're in prison. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and it's not it's not because of the lack of concern and the lack of care or whatever. But it's like they have I said, to take care of themselves. They have to. They They're have to be workers. the frontline workers. Have to. This is way before the vaccine was coming out. Um, the frontline workers have to take care of themselves, or there's nobody that's going to take care of you. Right. So, um, yeah, she would. She might, she would call our department, even when her sister wasn't on shift, she would call our department 50 times a day just because she was, what's going on down there? Yeah. How is everything down there? I'm right. so lonely up here. I wish somebody could come up here. And, you know, um, just for human interaction. So, because um, she just needed some respiratory care help. Right. So, right. she she was um, not stable enough to be home by herself, but with it, you know, not right. not... On a ventilator or anything like
1: that. yeah. Well, I, I know we already talked about this, but I want to come back to it again because I think it's it's very important. But does a patient during COVID give you a different perspective as a nurse dealing with patients right now with all the with all of the COVID protocols?
2: Well, let's say before I was a patient myself, I was a sympathetic nurse, and now I'm an empathetic nurse. When I go back, I think the empathy will take over, and maybe I can share my story with with somebody else. Um, And maybe put their heart at ease, you know. Before I was sympathetic, saying, I understand. My mom would have been devastated if she wasn't here. You know, I'm sorry that your your mom's not
1: able to be here. But now it's not. It's just you'd say that, but now you've actually experienced it. Yeah,
2: now I've experienced it. So it's It's different saying it
1: than experiencing it.
2: Like I said, sympathy and empathy, empathy. you Mm -hmm. know, so because now I've also experienced it.
1: Right. So after going through all of this yourself, do you have a different perspective of the families now? We talked about this a little bit, but these families out there, you know, when their loved ones are in the hospital with COVID, can you it's, talk just
2: a little bit more about that? It's horrible, you know, because they're obviously, if the, if the patient is sick enough to be admitted into the hospital, then obviously if they have a good family, there's someone, someplace that's worried sick about them, right? Right, right. Um, and they can't be there, which is just as hard. It's just as hard to be somebody on the outside. Um, you were talking about how my kids were home for the holiday. Um, a few days previous to my injury, uh, one of my kids had a injury at hockey. And he actually went into the boards and he got a, a very tiny, and that sounds really stupid to say, but it didn't need any intervention, um, skull fracture. and but it's still a skull fracture. still a skull fracture. sounds so bad. And it is bad. I'm not saying it's not. And he... He did have a concussion and and so on and so forth and so he was out of the game uh, for a little bit. Um, but he, he recovered quickly as most twenty year old athletes do, right? right? Right. But I was still worried about that, right? So mm-hmm. I couldn't even I couldn't even I couldn't even express my concern for him being all the way back there because I was in there. So I can understand how how nervous you are. When you're away from your loved one, right, and you're worried about them, yeah. yeah. So I mean, mine wasn't COVID-related, but you know, I'm still separated, right, and was worried, right. So even in my fog of death, of Dilaudid, you know, I'm still thinking, oh, when, how is he today? And I looked back at my texts to see, you know, you know, to see what I had texted and stuff because I don't remember a lot of things. And I hadn't even texted him for a few days, so he was well, just, I'm sure he understood. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. But you know, I, I I was concerned about him, but I wasn't physically able to even ask yeah. how he was. Yeah. So you know, he got on a plane, flew home, and and that was like a huge recovery for me because then I knew I could see him. I saw him that he was okay, and right, and uh, you know, he just you know, there's nothing like having your kids with you when right. You know, just keeping all your little ducklings
1: safe. Exactly. But, but again, for those people that are in the hospital with COVID and the families, right. you, you don't can't. have that. You
2: don't have that.
1: The most you have is, like I said, FaceTime, FaceTime or, and... you know, a Facebook Live or, you know, whatever.
2: Yeah. And it's not, it's not the same. It's just not the same. So um, no, you you don't
1: have someone holding your hand. You don't have someone giving you a hug. You don't have someone saying just looking in someone's eyes. And right now, you can't even read people's expressions with a mask. No, Mm -mm. you know, I Mm -hmm. mean, you can see their eyes, but you can't see their 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 mouth. You can't see if they're smiling or if they're sad. Or eyes Mm -hmm. tell you a lot, but they don't tell you everything. Correct. You know, and and, uh that's that's so.
2: So now you have two people or two um, groups of people. You know, you have the patient suffering because they're in there and they're lonely, and you have the family at home suffering because they can't be with the person that they need to feel they feel like they need to take care of
1: right well just in the last couple of weeks um people that i know um you know friends and and so forth uh, they've had people in the hospital and one one's mother passed away just after christmas one's father died on christmas with covid uh, and the families were not allowed in. And, and uh, I mean, you hear about it on the news all the time. But until you really know someone who's experienced it, you know, it's, uh, it, it just brings it close to home. and It really does. Yeah, it's, It really uh, does. And I, I
2: do know that, um, for example, I had a friend who called me in a panic for her, her next door neighbor, um, who she's known forever, was in the hospital with COVID. But he wasn't there for COVID. He went in um, because he's a cancer patient, and he was not feeling good. And he he is an end of life kind of thing, right? And so he went into the hospital for help with that, and was um, uh, was. Uh, Diagnosed with COVID as well. well that was yeah. why he wasn't feeling so good. So she called me in a panic and said, "Can you get me in? Can you get me in?" I mean, it's almost like calling your waiter to get you in on Valentine's Day at the last right. time, you know, at right. a nice restaurant. I'm like, "No, that, there's no possible way I can get you in." And right. this was before um, before I fell. Yeah, um, there's no possible way that you I can get you in. You just have to, you know. I gave her the the telephone number to give to the other of the. Of a, of a gallon charge, mm-hmm. and I said, You just have to plead your case. Yeah. You know, because the, the two daughters and the wife wanted to obviously see him because he was not doing well. Yeah. Now, at the la- final hours, they let them in. Mm-hmm. They let them in just so they could say goodbye to their dad. But in the meantime.
1: People- but that's pretty new, too. I mean, for the first six or eight months, they weren't doing that at all. Most mm-hmm. hospitals, I mean, they couldn't come in at all.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So they did let them in because it was end of life. So there's a few exceptions to the rule, at least at my hospital, having a baby, end of life, um, a child under 18, mm-hmm. and somebody who's mentally incapacitated to take care of themselves. Okay. So, um, and they will allow that one person, right. Right, that's it. Just one person. One person. And what
1: happens if they have to leave the hospital? Can they come back you in? Can't. Yeah.
2: So when our when our dads come in, we we tell them on the phone when we call and say, okay, you're scheduled for your induction tomorrow. You have to go get your COVID test before you come, because if you don't get your COVID test before you come, the, the father has to wait in the lobby until it's done. So you know we have a, a COVID test area for mm-hmm. you know same day surgery slash right. have a baby. You know something that's planned. So most women show up with it. It's the women that are in spontaneous labor that the husbands are waiting in the lobby. Yeah. So in, in, in short, the, you know, it's just really hard not to be able to have that support system on all directions. Right. So it's like a giant circle, you know, let's just start with, let's just start with the patient themselves, COVID patient. My mom had COVID. She said she felt like a leper because my sister and I would deliver food to her doorstep and we'd my sister has asthma and I'm an RN, so we would like, you know, back away and then she'd open the door and she'd, you know, she'd have her meal yeah. whatever. Yeah. She said that she was so lonely as well because right. she, she's a widow. My father's passed away. So let's start with the COVID patient. So the COVID patient has all these things going on and they feel crappy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they just don't feel else. on top, top of good. everything, top else, they're of everything yeah. else. They're sick. Then, and they're probably also worried, is, is, is it going to take a turn for the worse? Right. Because so many people, you hear on the news, so many people take a turn for the worse. Right, They're exactly. doing well, and then all of a sudden they crash. Right,
2: exactly. And then you have the nursing staff, and the doctors, and the janitors, and the people that bring you your food, and stuff like that. The whole hospital support team has to be cautious and yeah. not be able to be in there, which I'm I know for a fact yeah. that it makes you feel a little on them. Uh, not, I guess inept is not really the word, but it makes you feel like there's something's missing. Yeah. There's something missing. So, um, and then you have the family side. So it's a, it's a circle. Yeah. And it, and it just keeps going around right. and around and around until, until finally somebody gets to go home or not. Yeah. You know, until right. there's a, until there's a resolution. Right. right. So, um, the emotional toll is hard on everybody right and like I like you said as being a nurse and a patient I completely understand both sides I don't agree with both sides right I don't I don't I don't think that this is I don't think that this is really that healthy myself mm-hmm. um, that you know it should be that you could have somebody come in and stay
1: mm-hmm.
2: but you know that's the rules and that's what that's what, That's what
1: we have to live with. We have
2: to live with. That's so again, we were
1: dealt, and being in California, mm-hmm. it's a lot tougher than many other states. Yeah,
2: I was going to say, I think a lot of it is California regulations and stuff. So, yeah. it's um it's quite a, a lockdown state. So I guess maybe I was lucky. I even got to have my husband in there for. Just yeah. the small amount of time that he was yeah. allowed to and, that,
1: and that's pretty sad when you think about it. You're lucky that he was in there to go in and bring you personal items yeah. and, and stay with you for a few minutes. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> that's the world that we're in right now. Exactly. That's, that's yeah. the world we're living in. Exactly. That's, well, as you could hear, we have had, obviously, we're sitting in, in your backyard mm-hmm. in Huntington Beach, California. So there have been some, as we as we suspected, there was some car noises and some dogs barking in the area and so forth. So we do apologize for that. Hopefully the dogs have settled down a little bit now, but um, again, bear with us uh, because this is information that's very important to all of us that we wanna hear. So we've talked a lot about this, but I wanna come back to the COVID protocols and and, and the safety protocols um, that your hospital and other hospitals uh, have in place. Did you feel safe in the hospital?
2: Yeah, I really felt safe. I did feel safe for the sheer fact that how was I going to not be safe because nobody was coming in? Yeah. But I did feel safe um, from the ER all the way to discharge. I felt very safe um, um, as far as my personal health, you know, not your mental health, but, but as far as your personal health mm-hmm. goes. Um, Physical. Yes, exactly. I just, I feel, I feel like I was treated with respect and not just because I work there. I know half the, half the people that work there. But um, not just because of that, but I felt that I was treated with respect and um, dignity, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I had good, good care all the way from the ER to discharge. It's just that, that component, you know.
1: So is there any advice or any comments that you'd like to make to other patients being admitted to the hospital right now with COVID at such high levels?
2: Well, of course you want to say that if you aren't in desperate need of going to the hospital don't go and that sounds like a really weird thing to say but if you've got if you've got something that you're able and you know you're able and you're okay to manage at home you know people are doing that because you know every time you step foot in the hospital you're exposing yourself right you know you can't you can't um you Right. you just can't not I, it, there's no amount of antiseptic wipes that we can do over and over and over again i mean we have hepa filters we have you know we're doing everything possible we're doing everything possible but there's no you know with uh, so many people in the hospital and there's quite a few i know our hospital is completely booked and um, there's even tents outside of the yeah. hospital
1: which is pretty common which right which is now. pretty
2: common right now um, if you if you know that you can Put deal it off, with it yeah. and put it off. Do it,
1: yeah. Because and that's for like elective surgeries and yeah, that sort of thing,
2: right? Yeah. For elective surgeries, but you know, the, I think that the ramifications on the other side of that are going to be that people maybe hear me say that or think that themselves already, and they don't go in, and there was something wrong.
1: Yeah, and then that's you know? what the next question I was going to ask you: What about screenings, preventive tests, cancer follow-ups? You know, is that safe right, right. now? And should be should people be waiting or should they be getting those services done?
2: I think people should, and anything that is a life-altering thing like that, you yeah. should always get it done. I mean...
1: And it's pretty safe, right? I mean, um, getting on, getting, going and getting preventive tests, going in and getting blood work, mm-hmm. um, all that sort of thing. That stuff's pretty safe.
2: Probably safer than going to Walmart or going to the grocery store because, you know... At least they have so many safety protocols. Yeah, they have in so place. many safety protocols and they are um, antiseptically aware between each and every person that they come into contact with. You know filling out questionnaires and taking your temperature nobody takes your temperature when you walk into when right. you walk into the grocery store or right. into walmart so um i think that they're even on a higher level so my my thing to that is definitely go in and have your screenings done i mean if you're a if you're a person who had breast cancer you know in your past and now you're up for a mammogram don't put it off right that's crazy because you have a higher risk of something happening to that than the, right. than the risk of getting COVID. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't live like that. You have to, you have to um, you know, make sure you take care of yourself and right. not, not be afraid of
1: what if. Right. So basically elective surgeries that can wait, let them wait. Sure, sure. But. You know, I
2: mean, like cosmetic surgeries and yeah. stuff like that,
1: they, that can wait. Yeah.
2: It can totally wait. Yeah. Although you know, I, I'll probably get dinged on that. You know, for saying that because somebody could be like, "Well, you know, my nose was so big, or my, or I had a huge <laughs> scar on my head from an accident, and you know, that's and it an affects emotional, emotionally. It an emotional my, yeah. toll, and I, I get that too. So I don't yeah. want, I don't want to minimize those kind of things. But but there are some things there that are can some be put things off. that can be put off, and you need to realize that the hospital staff is stretched thin yeah so the more that you can put them off and stay at home and manage manage your cold or manage your flu at home mm-hmm. uh, like you would have <laughs> Pre-COVID. In 2019. Yeah, yeah. Um, Imagine that. There yeah. was a pre.
1: There was a pre-covid. There was era. a
2: pre-covid. You can't believe it. You know, you say, "Oh, geez, I woke up with a little scratchy throat. It has nothing to do that you snore all night." No, it's it's. Oh my god, did I yeah. have COVID? Oh my god. You know, people yeah. are just it's that's so in their heads right now.
1: Well, but, there's hope right now. At least we know we have some vaccines out there. Sure, And uh, we've got two already approved and, and, and frontline workers and so forth are getting those administered. They are.
2: They are. Well, our, our, uh, obviously, I'm not on that list because yeah. I'm at home, but all of my colleagues have already received their first vaccine.
1: Yeah. So, so. That, that should make things a little bit better and make pe- people feel a little bit more comfortable that there's hope in the future mm-hmm. uh, and that hopefully 2021 is going to be a much better year, at least the second half of the at year, the perhaps. the second half of the year. You know, I'm, yeah. Before we, we started this recording of this podcast, you and I were chatting and I mentioned that, you know, Bummer for me because I happen to be very healthy. I have no pre existing medical conditions. So we're, we were laughing about that because, you know, I'm going to be one of the last people. Yeah. I went online and did one of those uh, little questionnaires that they have that the TV stations and so forth were saying, you know, go onto this website and see when you might qualify. Mm-hmm. And they said something like 78 million people were in front of me because <laughs> I'm healthy. So right. So which, maybe sometime which later is, this
2: summer, I'll right. we'll be able is, to get that. Uh, which is great for you, but uh, being healthy, <laughs> but. On the flip side, you know, but I also believe that, you know, as soon as the, um, here in California, we don't have the problem, even though we're a high, high, um, rate right now, we're like the epicenter, the hot spot. they're calling us on the news. Um, and which is really a strange, a strange phenomena because we're on a massive lockdown. Massive. (laughs) Yeah. Massive lockdown. We
1: can't even go out to, we can't even go out to have a meal at a restaurant. Right.
2: Exactly. Um, so how is it that this is spiking so much? You know,
1: well, a lot That's... of it probably had to do with people at Thanksgiving weren't were probably flying all over the country and were, you know, with their friends and family, and, and instead of staying home right. and doing probably. what
2: probably exactly, <laughs> but but you know, I mean, I think that when that lockdown lifts and people and it's a better time that you can um, you can be outside like the summer, for example, when when is not the the high season for viruses right um but maybe we can go back to normal
1: well wouldn't know? that be nice yeah. i don't know if we're gonna have real normal at yeah. all anymore i think i think yeah. we're all gonna be a, much more aware than we have in the past about washing our hands more frequently mm-hmm. and, and doing which isn't a bad thing mm-hmm. i mean it's not a bad thing well
2: you remember i mean and it's all over the news and stuff how they did it with the
1: 1918
2: yeah uh flu the spanish mm-hmm. flu Killed a lot more than this, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um
1: and the earlier SARS and, and everything else. I mean, yeah, yeah.
2: Exactly and uh, the earlier SARS and stuff uh, hospitals were full to capacity then too, but it wasn't shut down Right, you know, I got that SARS. <laughs> yeah, I, I took care of a patient that had it and I got this I got the swine flu and H1N1 actually and I wanted to just roll over and die of course I I yeah. came out of it, you know, what yeah. I mean, it was just a super super bad bug but we didn't shut down, right? So now we're shut down. Now we're so. shut down. Yeah. yeah. So and we're still the same as when that was going on because right. it was, you know, right. hospitals were full then as well. Yeah.
1: So what advice would you like to share with others who may have a surgery scheduled or emergency surgery like you had uh, right now during COVID?
2: Well, emergency surgery is obviously emergency, so we've got to go. Um, but just you know. I mean, uh, I I don't know how to say it to the masses, of course, but it should be known that you're going to do a lot of this on your own, that you're going to have to be responsible for
1: Maybe, yourself maybe bring a tablet maybe bring books maybe do something bring yeah <laughs> make sure that you have something with right. you that you communicate with people FaceTime on your phone whatever right. download certain things before you get to the hospital yeah. to help you through that time mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. i know i would have been having a difficult time because i don't have FaceTime or anything like that on my phone because mm-hmm. obviously i'm a privacy and security consultant so mm-hmm. i i try to practice what i preach so i don't have any of those things but um, I think if something like that were to come up, I would have made sure I had that on my tablet so that mm-hmm. I could bring my tablet in and yes, and, and, exactly. and get through the time. So, yeah, exactly. that's... The, yeah, of course. So,
2: and and I, I also don't want to minimize, like, my friend whose father passed away. Right. I don't want to minimize that at all because they felt that he should be seen by the hospital. But that poor man was alone the ma- majority of his stay. Right. Because... He just happened to get swabbed, and he was positive for COVID. Um, my father, when he passed away, um, I hospiced him. But then again, I'm a nurse. You know right. what I mean? I, You're people, more equipped to do that. People don't have that option. I took a month off of work. He died of cancer, but he died at home because it was less sterile right, and less emotional because, you know, the nurses aren't, aren't there to to give you that pain medicine right when you need it Exactly. so I brought him home so I guess that if you know something is you know inevitable spend the time with your family yeah spend the time with your family because that might be the time you get left yeah you know so which is really a sad statement but it really is it's, you know, and I, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to sound harsh, I don't want to, I don't want, I'm you know, I give the disclaimer, you know, don't do this at home folks, you know. Right. But, um, you know, don't try this trick at home, but um, if you, if you're thinking about it, you know, then maybe you think a different direction. Yeah. So, yeah. which is just, that,
1: that part is just heartbreaking. It and really, important. it really, really is. Well, Dina, thanks so much for sharing your experiences and your expertise with us. We really appreciate it. This has been very valuable. I'm sure the people that are listening to this uh, today um, are going to get a lot out of this because you've been very real with us. So I do appreciate that so much. So thank you very much. Sure, of course, anytime. Okay. Well, thanks again. And, And to everybody out there, please stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Miss Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3, toll free at 866-658-3835, or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.